and welcome to another takeover episode of It's Okay to Feel, a NAMI OC podcast. My name is Mariam Tarek. And my name is Roxana Akbari. And we're your takeover hosts for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This unique takeover episode is a feature of the NAMI OC Media Masterclass, which teaches teens and young adults ages 16 to 24 the basics of podcasting and growing our social media presence. Takeover episodes feature Media Masterclass students like ourselves who hope to start our own podcast. It's Okay to Feel is for informational slash educational and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical or psychiatric advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It's Okay to Feel is funded by the Orange County Healthcare Agency, OCHCA, Behavioral Health Services, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security CARES Act. Before we get into what we will be discussing today, we'd like to introduce ourselves. My name is Roxana Akbari, and I'm 22 years old from Mission Viejo, California. I work in politics and community organizing, and I'm currently spending my second gap year before law school living with my parents, younger sister, and two dogs. What brings me joy in life is building meaningful relationships, empowering those around me, and working to create a more compassionate and just world. I'm excited to be here today to support my friend, Miriam. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, Roxana. I'm so happy to have your support. My name is Miriam Tarek. I'm a 24-year-old from Irvine, California, and I am... The eldest daughter in a family of four. I have one younger brother and I'm living at home right now with my parents and whatever cousin is visiting at the time. I am also a breast cancer survivor. And I bring that up because that's part of the story that I want to share with you all today. Um, And just a little bit more about myself. I've always wanted to make a difference in the world, but it has always seemed a larger than life task. And I didn't understand the importance of starting with myself and my family before my diagnosis and the pandemic. So that's what I'm here for. And, you know, on a previous episode that Roxana and I recorded, we talked about our journey to discovering our boundaries and the importance of communication during the pandemic. And I thought that for this episode, I would share some tips and tricks that helped me during my uh treatment with for breast cancer but just this morning i read something so beautiful that resonated with me and it said that i can't help others heal until i know and accept what heals and helps me and i quote the ability to bring healing to others can only come when we genuinely accept and love ourselves past and present and are vulnerable enough to be honest about what heals and helps us And this resonated because I'm still on my journey and I can't claim to have all the answers yet. So I'm just here to share my experience. And I hope there are parts that y'all resonate with as well um, on your own journey to healing yourself. Thank you for sharing that beautiful quote, Miriam. It's definitely very inspiring, very true, and also something that can be easily disregarded when some of us are thinking about wanting to make a positive impact in the world. Um, and again, I thank you for inviting me to be here today. Um, and so to get us started, I wanted to kind of take you back to the start of your 
diagnosis journey, if that's okay. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how things went down and how you were feeling when it all happened? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, that's a that's a great starting point for this journey, um, which is the beginning. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 21 years old. I was just going into the summer before my senior year at UC Santa Barbara, and I could not believe what I had just heard the doctor tell me on the phone. Um, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty. I had no idea what my future held. All I knew is that I didn't want to give up anything that I was already doing. I was, uh, I had a job as a resident assistant for the apartments and I had classes that I wanted to take. Everything was all planned out. Um, when this bomb was dropped on me and my family. Um, and within that fear of dying and and everything, my real fear was missing out on on what I what my plans were. And so I needed to take a step back and that's something that, was hard to do um, the day of diagnosis, but slowly, like with the love and support of my family, I was able to kind of get to taking it one day at a time. That sounds extremely overwhelming. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. How did you come to cope with what had happened? It's, it's hard to even remember now what that feeling was like but it was overwhelming and and really what it came down to for me was hope and I've always been a very optimistic person um, who believes that you know that I have a plan that that I can take on anything with love and support and and that was this was just another challenge um and this was something that my family had already experienced together um as a family when I was younger when I was 13 years old I had a middle brother Hassan he was 11 two years younger than me and he passed away from cancer after um battling it for about four years so that's something that my family had already gone through together and it had already shaped me so vividly in in taking advantage of all the moments that you can with your loved ones um, that when I got my own diagnosis while it, there was a lot of fear in the beginning and a lot of that fear was um, how is my mom going to how is this going to be like for my mom and my dad who've already been through this like I need to be strong um, and so taking that moment and accepting how I felt and then realizing there was nothing I could do to change the circumstances or predict what would happen in the future, um, I would really have to take it one day at a time. Um, that That's really what, what helped me. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, you know, you bring up the concern you had about how your parents were feeling. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what it was like in your other relationships. How was it to tell people? And um, were you always worrying about what your loved ones would think? Yeah, thank you. Actually, 
I learned how important communication was to me after I was diagnosed because before it was a lot of fear of telling people how I really felt because I didn't like confrontation and I figured it wasn't really important. But when I started telling people about my diagnosis, it was a completely different conversation. And it was one where we both were very vulnerable. I was vulnerable because I was sharing something that I was like, well, you know, here's a thing that I'm going through. And and for them, it was the first time hearing this news and it was shocking. And, and really for my close friends and family, um, after I had dealt with my own uncertainty and realized that I was going to take it one day at a time and had the reassurance of the doctors of what our plan was going to be, I was fine. And so a lot of those conversations were like, hey, this is what happened, but it's okay. The doctor said this, and this is how I feel, and this is what we're going to be doing moving forward. And so a lot of it was um, taking care of them in that moment. Um, and, you know, um, it, it was a very interesting conversation to have. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, at that point, you and I didn't know each other yet. Um, for our listeners, Miriam and I became friends about two years ago when we started working together. Um, and I've, I've been continuously inspired with hearing about her journey, um, you know, looking back on it now that she's at this point. And, um, you know, I think... It's, it's really fascinating the what you bring up about the communication because um, I think it's really it's really difficult and also not very normalized in our culture to give difficult news to other people or share uncomfortable feelings. It's not really there there's very little of a script available to do that. So I can I can only imagine how awkward and new that must have been for you. <laughs> It, I definitely had some awkward conversations and, and people didn't really know what to say. And I can't even blame them because, you know, even being a breast cancer survivor, like when I hear people tell me of their diagnosis or, or troubles that they're having in their family, I freeze up too. And I'm like, like, what should I say? Like, I don't know what to say. And then I realized that the most important thing for me when hearing when telling my friends to hear was their love and support and, and genuine and authentic, uh, like task. <laughs> I realized I'm going to cut. Uh, I realized the most important thing for me when hearing, when sharing difficult news was to hear back love and support and, and so when I hear difficult news now, that's what I share and I share my genuine feeling and I hold space for them because it, that's the most you can do for someone. And honestly, I, I don't remember telling you about my diagnosis and, and all that. I, I can't remember how, <laughs> how you found out. <laughs> well, I think, I think you had shared things about it on social media and then, yeah. you know, I actually, I don't remember a specific point where we had a conversation about it. Maybe it was when I, I know you did that interview and there was also an article that someone oh, wrote yeah. about you. Maybe yeah. it was around then. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like it's, you know, I feel like I've always like known, I don't know, like, I don't remember <laughs> a specific conversation we had about it, but I would be curious to hear like a little bit more about one of these initial conversations that you mentioned were a little awkward. Um, how did they, how did they go down? Mm, yeah, I'll say it was like the immediate conversations with my friends and family, like there was just like a lot of crying and like sometimes on my part, a lot of times on theirs. And and that was like, it was just a great moment. But uh, after I shaved my head because of chemo, um, that's when I started becoming conscious of like, okay, now this is like a visible part of my identity that I have no hair. And so I'm, I'm bald. And it's very obvious to my coworkers because I had decided that I was going to continue working um, when I went for training that there was something different. And so those awkward encounters happened when people would try to ignore the obvious or mm. or when they did find out or just you know didn't really have any filter were very blunt so I've been told I'm glad you're still here and uh very other interesting things um which I I never faulted but you know after a while like it was amusing to me to be like, oh, did you hear what this person said? Like, they told me they were glad I was still here. Like, so fun. Um, yeah. So it was it was more of what people weren't saying when they saw me. Mm. That That's very interesting. I think, you know, it's it takes a lot of patience on um, I'm, or I guess it, it took a lot of patience on your part. It sounds like to, um, you know, aside from dealing with what you were going through, dealing with the awkwardness of other people processing that. And I think, you know, that's very brave of you and very understanding and compassionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, again, it's, it's very fascinating because like, like I was saying earlier, I don't think a lot of times we know how to react when, when faced with difficult news, particularly relating to death, illness, tragedy, um, things that we as humans try to avoid thinking about a lot of times. And um, so so what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that you would have hoped that people would have addressed the obvious and instead just expressed empathy, right? Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it because I'm, <laughs> like, I'm just, it, it's so in the past, but really it was about acknowledgement and just uh, any words, um, pointing out the fact that, Hey, I'm bald. Like things are different in my life. Right. Uh, and, and it wasn't, and it really was like I mentioned earlier after a certain point, it was about dealing with other people processing that information. And mm -hmm. so once it did become something visible, and like, I was still living my life. I was working, I was going to school. I was, I was having like a good time and making the most of it. Like it, it was just very glaringly obvious to me when people were avoiding the fact that I was going, undergoing treatment. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And in those moments, like it did give me clarity on people who, one that, 
people really did fear having those conversations and two that they just really didn't know how to have them and right and and I think that's the crux of it and which is why like I'm a big proponent of communication and and just you know being genuine and and being authentic yeah thank you so much for sharing that I think that's definitely very helpful for us to know because I think um having that insight for us someone who has gone through that and knowing perhaps how we could support our loved ones and people around us who are going through a difficult time, whether it's an illness or something else is really amazing. And I think, you know, this actually reminds me that I believe um, I learned about your diagnosis, not directly from you, but like from social media, like I was saying. And at that point we were primarily coworkers. We weren't really hanging out outside And I think I just didn't know how to bring it up. Like, it's not really something that you just bring up and be like, hey, that happened to you. You know, I wanted to give you that space to share that yourself um, without bringing up like a difficult, difficult topic or Mm -hmm. like I thought might be difficult for you. But I think like looking back on it now, it may have been may have been good on me to um, maybe like express more forefront empathy and compassion and be less afraid of being awkward. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I'm pretty sure you did text me something just (laughs) after that interview. And, and it was along the lines of, you know, like, you're so awesome. I didn't know that. And, and, yeah. and that's a big thing. Cause like after treatment and like after my hair grew out, like it just wasn't a topic, a conversation that came up and, right. and, and it wasn't that it was difficult for me. Cause like, as you know, I'm very open about these things. It was more that I, I wouldn't go out of my way to right. share. And so, um, yeah, I think either way. I've had your love and support in many different issues in my life that I know that if you were there in that moment as well like it would have been fine (laughs) thank you thank you I appreciate that and you know just noted something like a lesson to learn you know um but one thing I wanted to wanted to ask you um so kind of like going back to how you were feeling throughout this process I know in the beginning you mentioned that you were thinking about how your plans as a college student would be affected, the career and academic plans you had for yourself. How did that go? How did you continue on with school and social life and things like that? Yeah, you know, like, I was just very stubborn. And like, I had a good um, team of doctors and, and, and staff as well. Like the second I reached out to my supervisors, um, for the resident assistant position and told them like, Hey, this is what I'm going through, but I still want to work. They were like, okay, like let's let's plan this around you. And so I had a lot of support and that's the one thing I can't deny that, um, with this diagnosis, I was really able to, 
see a whole community of people rally around me and and do what they could to make sure that I could still pursue my dreams. And so um, I changed my schedule. So I only had classes like the first half of the week and the second half of the week, I'd be um, in LA getting treatment, getting chemo. And then I would spend the weekend with my family and then be back for school. And, and it really was just an amazing distraction and just ability to keep my friends at school and and have that support system because I don't think I could have handled it as easily um, as I did in the beginning if I had to lose everything that um, was important to me. Got it. Thank you for sharing. So so you're saying that keeping that routine and keeping things um, going with school was a big priority to you at the time, right? Yeah, it really was because, like I said, getting that diagnosis, like there was so much uncertainty and I couldn't believe that all the plans that I had made just were going to fly out the window. Like I, in that moment, like I knew that you couldn't take things like that for granted anymore. Like if there was something I wanted to do, like that's something I've taken with me that I won't hesitate. Like if this is something important to me, like let's find out a way to make it happen. And, and yeah, we can make plans for the future and have goals. And and that's really important too, but taking things one day at a time and and living in the moment um, makes it so I don't, I don't have any regrets about, about leaving anything unfinished. Awesome. And I think that's a very beautiful philosophy to live by even like no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what struggles you have. And I'm really glad you were able to do that during that difficult time. Do you think that that's something you still implement in your day-to-day life? I would say I do. I really, um, I, I do try to focus on taking it one day at a time, but I was giving a talk at, uh, a club organization and a question I got when I, I said that was how, how do you stay motivated to do things like homework if you're taking things one day at a time and not leaving? <laughs> yeah. And, and in the beginning, I was like, yeah, that's a really great question because I do struggle to stay motivated sometimes because I'm always looking at like the experiences and like what we can create and the people around me and like being happy during the day. But I still have goals and dreams for the future. And if I want to get there, then I need to put in that work. And then a big thing I realized was with my undergoing treatment, I needed that distraction of work and school um, to have something to do outside of just this cloud of treatment and and um, and boredom, honestly, because a lot of my social life was like consisted of going to school and, and hanging out with my coworkers. Would you say that besides kind of like alleviating boredom and keeping a sense of normalcy that doing these activities allowed you to maintain hope during this time? It really did because it made me think that 
even while undergoing treatment and and not knowing what my future would hold, like I was still working towards my real goals and my real goals had nothing to do with my cancer diagnosis. They had to do with making a difference in the world and, and fixing our flawed system and, and like so much bigger than me. Um, and, and so having that focus really did give me hope and, to and knowing that I was still working towards that even in the middle of this very personal issue right and you know based on the conversations we've had outside and you know I would if you if you are comfortable to share I would love to hear a little bit more about here I know that the personal struggles that you faced are not isolated and are connected to larger systemic issues as you always tell me Um, Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yes, do I ever. So y'all will not believe what happened to me. Actually, you will, because it happens to, I could say, almost everyone who's facing a medical issue. Um, I, like I said, I was, um, I was getting chemo and afterwards I had, um, uh, I had surgery and it was time to move on to radiation. And throughout this entire time, I was really privileged to have insurance um, through my dad's work and and not just insurance, but good insurance. So all these bills that we were getting that were totaling hundreds and thousands of, of dollars wasn't something we had to worry about until it came time for radiation. So my doctors recommended that I get a specific kind of radiation called proton radiation, which is different from the traditional photon radiation. And at the beginning, I couldn't have told you the difference. And I even mixed up which one they were telling me. But it became very clear to me that this new form of treatment was a little bit more expensive. And um, and the my health insurance denied my claim for receiving proton therapy and instead deemed it not medically necessary even though it would reduce the likelihood of a secondary cancer for me and went against all the guidelines that recommended it given my age and my genetic history and and given the fact that I had breast cancer. So that was really terrifying to hear. And I got this news of the denial from California Protons, the place where I was getting treatment. They gave me a call and let me know that my healthcare insurance had denied my claim, but they would be helping me by starting treatment right away, which is a big deal. Usually in these cases, they delay treatment until you get that appeal. And also connecting me with an advocacy group, the Alliance for Proton Therapy Access, which would help take my story and share it in order to put pressure on that health insurance company um, so we could get them to overturn their denial. And that first, that moment of hearing that they had denied my claim brought so much anxiety over the financial implications for my family that I I couldn't believe that this is something that people 
had to struggle with on top of a medical diagnosis. Uh, it was shocking to me that this was the story of 80% of people who received proton therapy undertook. And, and I knew our healthcare system was broken. I had recognized my privilege in being able to go through treatment as it was without worries. But in that moment, like I knew that I had to advocate for myself and for other patients who might have this problem in the future. And so um, that's a part of the reason why I bring this up today is it's so important for y'all to hear the story and understand like how flawed our insurance system is. And we, I would like to advocate for people who don't have health insurance or who have greedy health insurance systems who are in it for the money and not looking at us as individual people with families and stories uh, who don't have who shouldn't have to worry about financial fears when dealing with an, with the fear of a medical diagnosis. Wow. That again, sounds very intense and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It's honestly infuriating to hear that you had to worry about the finances as you were dealing with this really complex struggle and quite frankly, a fight for your life at, a young age and you had to worry about how to pay for it. That's not something anyone should have to go through, as you said. And so, so what happened? How, how did the situation turn out? So what ended up happening was months and months of going back and forth with the insurance company. None of this work that I had to do myself because California protons, like I said, didn't delay treatment. I was able to get my 28 sessions of proton therapy and, and not worry about the financial impl implications. They didn't even send me a credit card bill. Uh, all they said was you focus on yourself and and we're going to take care of this for you. So that led us to submitting a claim to the California Insurance Commissioner, who was Dave Jones at the time, uh, with all the facts corroborating that this was a medically necessary procedure for me. Um, and within a week or two, we got that overturn of denial for that healthcare insurance, and, and they had to pay for everything. So I was lucky and had a great team of people fighting for me and was able to get my claim overturned. But my story is one of hundreds and thousands. And, and I don't think that everyone else has gotten the same good results that I have. Wow. Well, I'm really glad that your case was successful and that you were able to get the treatment you deserve. And yeah, you're absolutely right that we need we need reform in the healthcare system so that people don't have to worry about whether they can afford to get medically necessary procedures done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was just so frustrating to see and be a part of it. Um, knowing that if I had to deal with this on my own, I would have no idea what I was doing. And our system is created to be that confusing. And I don't think that anyone 
should have to go through that um, fear and anxiety of of how they're going to afford their treatment when they're already dealing with so much. Absolutely. And, you know, I really hope that we get some much needed reform in the years to come. And so what I wanted to ask you is, so after you got that proton therapy treatment, what happened after? Yeah, so that was the end of my journey with treatment. I had gone through a year and a half of chemo, surgery, radiation, um, doing what I could to keep myself busy. Actually, I uh, um, made the most of it. I went to visit my friends in at their colleges and and took that free time that I had not being able to take classes and really channel it into what was good for my mental health and and what kept me having hope in in a better future and and so I was uh, and I couldn't have done that without the people around me. Amazing. And so you mentioned mental health. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like. What do you think, if at all, anything was the mental health part of the equation for you while you were going through this extremely challenging and complicated journey? Yeah, I'll say that in the beginning, I mentioned like the fear and the uncertainty, but something that I've always been blessed with is good mental health. And so I have never had depression or anxiety. I've always been able to move on from things and and not dwell on them. And it was a very interesting experience getting diagnosed and, and going through all that treatment because, like I said, I was doing the most to keep myself distracted and busy. Um, and a lot of it was escaping through scrolling on social media and uh, reading books. And, and so I wasn't really taking the time to reflect at that point. And, and that's something I didn't recognize until I was away from home on a school program right after I had ended treatment. And I was speaking to uh, a coworker of mine in the school program I was in. And he was also a cancer survivor. And he mentioned that when we were discussing um, our shared experience, that you don't feel anything and you don't process when you're in that moment, when you're getting treatment, because all you're focusing on is survival. And so afterwards, that's when you really can process everything that you just went through. And I... I hadn't recognized that within myself, that that was something that had been avoiding you. And I, like I said, I was blessed. I had the love and support of my family and my cousin, Yasmin, she made sure throughout the entire experience to keep checking in and make sure that we did talk about our feelings. Um, and that's something that's not really normal in our family it definitely takes a little bit of prodding to make sure that you know uh we're ch- uh, we're focusing on on how we feel and and talking about our emotions has always been a weak point but as a medical professional herself she encouraged me to go to therapy claiming everyone needed it and and i 
just as of this pandemic and then from what you heard in our last episode started on my own journey of reflecting and uh and started therapy and so i've finally taken that step and i can say it's amazing um to be focusing on that and and seeing how how important it is to dealing with difficult situations like this that's very interesting i think um you know, oftentimes when we're going through something difficult, we tend to not really consider mental health being an important piece of the puzzle, just taking care of ourselves so we're strong enough to deal with whatever has happened to us. And it sounds like it it took you a little bit of time, as it often does, for us to realize, oh, I need to take care of my mental health. Um, I need to reflect on what happened to me to be able to grow as a person and really fully be present and enjoy my life, right? So I'm really glad that you took that step to go to therapy and that you're having a fulfilling time doing it now. I'm curious to know what have you learned by reflecting in therapy in this recent last few months? What I learned and what I've been learning is how important it is to focus on your mental health and and destigmatize our conversations around it. Because my cousin, who was the biggest advocate for me to go on this journey, um, is so strong and so amazing. And her, and it stem like and her journey into mental health stemmed from her own issues with um, uh, her mental health and seeing the difference between how I was treated as a breast cancer patient and how she is treated as a mental health patient was just ridiculous to me. I cannot believe how different we treat these illnesses. And I am the first one who will step up to bat for anyone going through a mental health illness and is not getting the love and support that they need and deserve from their family. Because I can, like I mentioned, like this entire like episode, I've been talking about how people rallied around me, my friends, my family, my uh, supervisors, like all these people saw me get diagnosed with the physical illness, breast cancer, and rallied to make sure that I knew how loved I was. And seeing the difference between that and how my cousin who's going through mental health issues was treated, um, the toxic positivity being told that, oh, you know, like you just need to take a step back or look at things differently or, or just be positive. <laughs> like, wow. Like, are you serious? If, if my cousin had the same team of doctors and professionals and loved ones with her every step of the way, if every mental health patient had that support, I would love to see the difference we could make in the world because it is just as important. Um, and it goes hand in hand. Like we're talking about medical illnesses here and like and why? And like, why do we categorize them so differently? And that's something I learned is we need to get rid of the stigma around mental health and get rid of toxic positivity. And it's okay to feel and it's okay not to be okay. Like, wow, that's all. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's 
you, you spoke some really important facts there. I think it's very interesting because I'm noticing, at least in my own life, a little bit of a shift in people becoming more and more aware and accepting that mental health is a part of our holistic health as human beings. It's just as important, if not more important than physical health and very interconnected. The both are completely interconnected. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, I hope, I hope more people come to see things the way you do. And we would certainly have a lot more happy and healthy human beings in the world that way. Yeah, I, I dream of a future where we can look at mental health and, and ev like everyone needs therapy. Like, wow, if, if we could just sit here and talk for hours about our socialization and like how we are formed into the human beings we are, like what I was mentioning earlier about my journey to healing myself and how I haven't fully figured that out yet. Like what I did realize is in order to make a difference in the world, I need to change myself and like right. me working on myself and like other people working on themselves. Like that's a whole community right there. And that's, that's change happening. Um, right. And, yeah. yeah. And taking care of mental health, I think it, it needs, like we need resources to be able to do that. It's not really something that we're often taught. It's, you know, like definitely needed to have a professional, a therapist, a psychiatrist there to guide you in that journey. And like, of course, while being able to take care of oneself and support oneself and hold oneself accountable in that journey is an important piece. It's not really fair to put that all on just the person without offering them the correct resources. Exactly. And and that's the worst part is for our physical health, we're told to go in for an annual checkup, but no one is told like, hey, why don't you just check in with the professional? Because this is not work that can be done easily on ourselves. Like there, this is science right here that we're talking about. And, and no one can reach that understanding all alone. Like it comes with having that support. Uh, medical support and family support, both with which which are lacking. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I I'm hopeful that that will happen, especially with platforms like this one, where where the importance of mental health and taking care of and processing our feelings are continuously being normalized. So, the question I want to ask you now is: You shared some of the vital lessons that you've learned throughout this journey from taking things one day at a time to being assertive, but compassionate in our communications with our loved ones and also trying to stay strong when going through something really difficult in our lives um, and how important it is to have a support system. I'm curious to know if there are any other lessons you learned that maybe you haven't had the chance to share yet and whether there are any lessons that you feel you will, you will continue to hold close as you move forward on your journey in life. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And I hope I can do it justice because I still am on my journey and I'm, I'm still trying to learn the different ways that I can cope and heal. And, and right now the challenges I'm facing are in my professional career and, and how I can 
advocate and be an ally for all the multitude of issues that I hold so dear to my heart. Um, and, and so really just, if anything, be true to yourself and, and really delve in and do that work because it's difficult and it, it's not going to happen overnight. For me, I'm, I'm still figuring out what what's important to me and, and how do I get there. But I know that putting myself in uncomfortable positions and situations um, is is how I've been continuing to challenge myself and so before it used to be putting myself in uncomfortable positions like maybe physically so like oh I'm gonna go paragliding or or let's go skydiving but now this new venue is challenging myself um emotionally and and putting myself in uncomfortable positions and and this has been a little bit you know like uncomfortable because I've really had to reflect on my entire journey and now I'm how many years out I'm three years out from when I was diagnosed and I can't believe that that was a part of my life you know that that was something that was happening and uh and now I'm in a whole new arena and I'm I'm fighting new challenges uh but I have the knowledge and experience from my breast cancer journey to to help guide me that's beautiful that is definitely a beautiful answer and I think you know, like just being your friend in the last two years, I've learned so much from you and the way that you approach life. I think that one day at a time philosophy that you have is something that a lot of us can learn from. I know, especially me as someone who tends to be pretty anxious and um, worry about the future a lot. The future is not guaranteed and you know, it's super important to create joy for ourselves in the present moment. And aside from that, our relationships are also extremely important and practicing self-compassion and allowing us ourselves to feel our full scope of feelings, which is something we often struggle to honor within ourselves. Yeah, that's that's amazing way to put it. And I think it it really does come down to like balance because mm-hmm. you know, you do need to worry about the future. Like you do want to reflect on the past, but you also want to live in the present moment. And uh and as for and like one thing I will say is as someone who had the love and support from family members who I hadn't even talked to in years, like coming, pouring out all the thoughts and prayers, like all of that is great, but it's nothing compared to the love and support you can give yourself because that's really what's important. Um, and really what you can't survive without. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey with us, Miriam. Are there any concluding thoughts you have for our listeners today? I think I took them on this journey with me while trying to process. Uh, and so thank 
I want to thank y'all for that. And I want to thank you for being here because I definitely needed Roxana here to, to help guide me and, and to be that support system because uh, she is amazing and like, <laughs> and, and, and has been inspirational to me too in figuring and dealing with challenges I'm dealing with right now. And so thank you for coming along with me on this journey. Anytime, Miriam. Happy to be here. Thank you so much again for tuning in and listening to our episode of It's Okay to Feel. If you liked the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show and it helps us to share our message of mental wellness to people in our community. If you want to hear more of It's Okay to Feel, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much. Take care and stay safe.